I would say that, like, I grew up on every side of Houston, on the south side, southwest, north side, east side. Jeremy Peaches is Houston through and through. You know, any side of town, I feel like I got love and relationships. So, yeah, I'm from the most historic, the south side, southwest. <laughs> but his story starts in the Mississippi Delta. I, I left Mississippi in, like, 97. I was a kid to come to Houston, to the big city. And I always tell this story to everybody how I left, you know, the rural South, you know, Mississippi, the home of the blues again. I'm from the Delta where music was created. It wouldn't be no hip hop or no bing, bang, boom without Mississippi and the blues. Um, I'm from where, where all these things in history is talked about or existed. So coming to the major city, my mom, you know, trying to search for a better life in the major city, just like everybody else or migrating at that time. It was there, in the back of his mom's car, driving across the American South, that Jeremy saw a glimpse of his future and realized that he wanted to farm. All I remember seeing was fields, cows, tractors. So I grew up like, that's my fondest memory of migrating in my childhood. So coming to the major city, I didn't have that opportunity, you know, growing up, because it's apartments, you know, there's no fields, there's no trees in Houston. <laughs> in his journey, Jeremy has found a way to bridge these two worlds, though. And in his work, he stresses the importance of Black ownership and the ability to live off the land. The great Fannie Lou Hamer once said, quote, when you've got 400 quarts of greens and gumbo soup canned for winter, Nobody can push you around or tell you what to say or do, end quote. Hamer was a civil rights leader and community organizer, and she was also born in Mississippi, just like the Blues and just like Jeremy Peaches. She's from five minutes from where I'm from. She's from Winona, Mississippi, which is the Delta, which is nothing, nothing but fields, and nothing but fields. And at that time, they didn't have the machinery that we have to this day. So I've seen those fields. For her to work in those fields at that time, like you had to be a strong woman. For her to go vote and do what she did in rural Mississippi, in the Delta, most racist at that time, she is huge. And then when Fannie Lou Hamer gave that speech to Congress. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America. Thank you. At that same time, President Lyndon Johnson was trying to pass a bill with Martin Luther King and they didn't want her to get up and speak. They was worried about what Fannie Lou Hamer was saying because she was a woman, a woman telling the truth, how white men had beat her, you know, how they didn't want her to vote. And they were scared of her because she went, she went in, into the, uh, the congressional hearing, <laughs> hair everywhere, sweating with a purse, <laughs> and, tell, and told them, I ain't gonna say it on the podcast. It told them how she felt and what she was gonna do, and it scared them. And and that's what it takes sometimes, like going beyond and really risk your life to push the movement forward.
Welcome to Your Attention, Please, the companion podcast to the Hulu series of the same name that introduces us to present-day makers of Black history. I'm Kimberly Drew, curator, writer, and co-editor of the anthology Black Futures. On each episode, I get to sit down with one of the 12 amazing Black innovators featured on Hulu this season. Today, I'm talking to urban farmer Jeremy Peaches. I mean, his last name is Peaches, and he's a farmer. Jeremy spends a lot of his time with his crops in the fields and in warehouses designed to grow plants and conserve water. As if that wasn't enough, he's also very passionate about changing perceptions of what it means to be a farmer. And he's finding different ways to tell a story, like through his art. This is the life of a farmer. Big truck, big track, the long roads. This is the life of a farmer. Whoa, plan to see watch it grow. This Hi, Jeremy. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. Miss Kimberly. Hello, hello. I'm very excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for making the time to be with us today. No, I'm, I'm excited about it, uh, especially this whole experience. And I love connecting with people, so it's how I love. So, Jeremy, I actually wanted to start by asking you about your music, because I know that your episode on Hulu included one of your songs. Hey, man, so my relationship to music, man, I've been making music literally since about 2006 or seven. But just the look of a farmer, you know, especially being young and African-American, is not like we're like looked at or respected, right? Because the look of a farmer is older white Republican man that wears overalls and sit on the tractors. And I'm like, I'm not that. I'm I'm a farmer and an urban farmer, but I'm fly, right? You know, I wear J's. You know, I have my own clothing line. I'm just cool, you know, and I rap. I like art. I'm a businessman. There's so many things that I am outside of a farmer. So I wanted to create like something memorable, something that would catch people's eyes and attention that's like real and true in my life. And I just started making songs, songs, songs all about agriculture, about vegan. I have a song called Soul Food Vegan. Pulled up to the tray on a Saturday, order barbecue mushrooms and moringa plate. You know, that's me. That's what I do on Saturday. I go eat vegan food. So I was like, man, it's a group of us or a set of you know, people my age that farm, that garden, that's, that's, you know, eclectic. And it's a group of us that don't get any attention or nobody talks about, you know, this group of people, this demographic of people in this age group. And I was like, I'm going to spend my time making songs and music for us about vegan, about farming, about being entrepreneurs, being fly, you know, about, you know, opening up your third eye, your sentence, being you know, pro-black. Just health, you know, period. I think it's so beautiful. And really, that's the power of art in a way. Because it gives people another entry point into a world that maybe they're not familiar with. You know, it's not like there are tons and tons of opportunities and examples of young Black folks out there farming. Right. And it's so important to have art to be able to visualize and see and imagine themselves doing that. There's a point in the segment where you said, urban farmers, Black farmers— and I wonder if you could talk about, you know, are all urban farmers black farmers? Or is there like a difference? What does that term usually signify? Urban farming 
is defined as any farming practices of growing produce or meat inside of a municipal city area, not in a rural area. So say if you were in downtown Houston, let's say uh, 60 miles out would be the country. So anything inside of the city limits will be uh, urban farming practices. No matter if you're doing vegetables, goats, meat, if you're farming inside of the city limits, you're an urban farmer by definition. What I kind of was touching on is the sense of when you hear the word urban, period, just when you hear urban, urban is always attached to an African-American or a minority. In movies, in TV, radio, everything. So if urban is minority, nine times out of 10, Hispanic or people of color are black. So urban farming is, you know, a minority farming inside the city. <laughs> when you go in urban neighborhoods, it's black or Hispanics. So when I say again that the USDA has given, created programs and given, are mandated to work and do agriculture in urban environments, they're saying we have to start working with African-Americans and minority doing farming and agriculture. But if it's been this disconnect, and again, the view of a farmer is rural, Caucasian white. How do we bridge that gap? The fact of the matter is, or the elephant is in the room is, the government is trying to get more people in the city with farming. And they're traditionally people in African-American or Hispanic neighborhoods that have a negative connotation of farming, whether it's you're Hispanic and you farm to make money and you know you worked in the field, Cesar Chavez, <laughs> or you have you know African-Americans that probably was in agriculture for, from slavery times or from the prison to pipeline movement. So now we're in the switch of trying to make it like, hey, we all farmed and grew our own food, just humans, period. But how do we get people in urban art environments, which are Black and Hispanics, back into agriculture? Yeah, because there's an impact potential. And so it's important to be able to, to have some agency, I would imagine. Right. And I think that's what we're going through right now. That's what we're, in the present time, we're living through history, like the rise of urban farmers or the next generation of uh, minority farmers. You know, the whole view, the whole look, the culture. So when you hear, this is the life of a farmer, <laughs> big truck, big track, the long rows, you like, oh, snap, that's cool. Yeah, he farmed. Yeah, that could be me. He make that music. That could be me. He farm. Yeah. You know, Hulu. He got a business. I want to be like that guy. Yes. I love the offering of invitation. I know that family has had such a profound influence on you. And I was wondering if your interest in farming stems from family at all. When you hear my last name, Peaches, it's a fruit. Unbeknownst to me, when I got older, my parents and grandparents, they actually just told me a few years back, like, oh, yeah, your grandfather... He always had a huge garden. You know, they, they grew up on farms. They were Indian. Um, the area of Mississippi, you know, where I'm from and where they grew up. That's how our family actually got our family property. My family grew hay, pretty much filmed for themselves. And then actually researching him and just tracking my family back, different parts of Mississippi, it actually traced them back to one of the largest 
pleach plantations and farms, you know, in Mississippi at that time after slavery. So when you hear my last name, like that name came from my ancestors who were slaves or worked on the plantation and they got it from their master. And obviously if they was doing that work before then, they probably was already farming and gardening. So historically it's, it's just Emmy. So then growing up in Houston, what was your exposure to agriculture and farming? I, I rode horses growing up. I did horseshoes. I was, you know, in the streets a little bit as well. So at one point in time, I was on probation at my senior year in high school and junior year. And one of the things that I had to do is all I could go is to the farm to, you know, train the horses or take care of the horses. Then I had to go to work. Then I had to go back home by seven. At that time, that was my therapy, right? To get outside and of everything I was dealing with, I had to grow through or being on house arrest. So I was like just enthralled in animals and horses. And then when I had the opportunity to go to college at Prairie View, I was like, man, I'm going to go to school for ag. And I went to school for agriculture. Man, it changed my life. And then when I would get out of on breaks in college, I would go back and work on the same farm that I had to work at throughout the time I was on probation. So from 2010 all the way to 2015, my graduation, I was involved in agriculture month by month, week by week, working at the school, working for the government, interning, and on my own, you know, throughout our family. So when I graduated, I was like, man, I went to college for ag. Instead of going to go work for the USDA, I said, I'm going to go back to the neighborhood I grew up in to teach, like, these kids the same stuff I learned to get that same opportunity. So I came back and I built the largest aquaponic greenhouse facility in Houston. I built a lot of, you know, farms and gardens. And, and that's where the business came from. Fresh Life ended up creating Fresh Life Organics. It was doing agriculture consulting and, you know, small gardening. And it just grew into like a whole business. Okay. All right. So you've created the largest aquaponic greenhouse facility in Houston. No big deal. So I would love to understand more about what that actually is and why it's important. Yes. So let me start with what I know so far, and then you can maybe help me fill in the rest. Okay. So from what I understand, aquaponics is a way of producing food where you're raising aquatic animals in tanks. So we're talking fish. We're talking prawns. We're talking snails. How does that lead to a greenhouse? And does it have anything to do with the other method that you were talking about, uh, hydroponics? What are what are some of the connections? Walk us through it. <laughs> hydroponics is hydro, which is water, ponics, which is systems. So basically a water system. So hydroponics is a way of growing, you know, using water. So water is, is inside of a tank and it's just constantly being recirculated and you add the nutrients. You know, just like you would add nutrients or fertilizer in a, in a field on soil, you would add that to the water. And when the water hits the roots and the bottom of the plant, it allows your plant to grow, right? So you could grow food using just water and organic nutrients, which is similar to aquaponics. You have fish in a tank and you take their water and their waste, which has nutrients in it, is clean, right? And it hits the roots of a plant. And it allows that plant to grow and it's being recirculated. So with what, what this allows is one less waste of water. Cause like I said, if you're using water in the field, it's gonna evaporate or it's gonna roll off into a lake. 
So those are like some of the futuristic ways to be able to conserve water and be sustainable. In terms of indoor agriculture, using tanks or waters and systems. It's just another way to be able to grow. And also, like I said, it's recirculating. So that means you're using less, 90% less water than you would be in a tr traditional field. So you're conserving now. So now you're being a steward of not only the land, the water and all the natural resources, but for other people. So it, it's interesting. I, I think we should, like the common person, needs more education on aquaponics or hydroponics because the future, but it's actually old technology. Like like growing rice, you go rice and patties on fields with water. It's the same concept. Or like if you see all these pictures of the Aztec, the Mayans, or these Chinese civilizations that had these huge um, mountains with crops growing on them and the water is in between and they, they're hydrating the crops from the water that's in between that they've engineered the water to flow through. It's the same concept. And these are concepts that's going to be utilized with hell. They're already doing it in Europe and China. I mean, America is behind, for real. Thank you so much for breaking that down for me. Now, I want to ask you a few questions from Hulu subscribers who have watched your segment on your attention, please. They want to know more about what your life is like. So our first question comes from Vivi in Washington. What is your favorite thing to grow? And what is the most difficult? I would say my favorite thing to grow would be radishes because radishes, they grow, you know, fairly fast and you can do like multiple things with radishes. So one of the most, or two of the most difficult things that I have problems growing is like cauliflower and kale. And cauliflower, because, you know, it takes a long time not only to grow it, but the seeds are, are fairly small. I've always just had issues growing it. Um, but kale, uh, they have like a lot of, you know, pests, uh, issues and bugs and things of that nature. So it kind of affects like the growth of it. So kale and cauliflower, I would say, I would say would be like my most two um, growing arch enemies. <laughs> Our next question is from Josie in California. So, you're stuck on a desert island. What one pack of seed can you take? I would take okra seeds. I would take okra seeds because they grow in the heat. They're pretty hardy. You can kind of store them for a long time. And our last question comes from Stefan in New Hampshire. How many farm cats are on the farm to keep rodents away? Um, we actually do not have any farm cats. We had farm cats, well, we had farm cats years ago at our barn where we had horses. We have more dogs. So, I mean, the dogs help. Um, I don't want to, you know, be inhumane or anything. Sometimes they catch the, uh, you know, the rats and some of the other nuisances that you have out there. And also rabbits. <laughs> If you have a question for one of the makers featured on this season of Your Attention, Please, we want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. So Jeremy, 
In your episode on Hulu, we get a chance to see what your farm looks like. And I'm wondering if you could tell me a bit more of like, what is the sensory landscape like? What does it smell like? What is the full experience of being there? Oh, man, like you asked the perfect question, right? Because you have all these senses, you know, other than visual, you know, you can feel, you smell here. So I would say throughout the production, we shot some in my home. So just me being in my home environment, you know, my home, even now, let me smell it. It smells like sage, right? Because we burn sage. Two, I would say being at the farm, you could just smell fresh air because our, our main farm is like along the Brazos River down here. So you could smell the fresh water, like the fresh country air. Um, when you go to my friend, my friend's farm where we shot at her farm, uh, she has horses. So you can smell like the fresh air, the city, but you can also smell the horses. And that's, the horses to me smell so good. They like so nostalgic. <laughs> but then we also shot at our warehouse in Sunnyside, which is like one of the largest food deserts in Houston. That was Sunnyside, the whole, it's inside the city on a strip called Cullen. And it's like 10 chicken restaurants. So though we're in the garden, we're still in the hood, in a food desert, surrounded by chicken restaurants. So all you smell is chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Being there, you can smell in those in those scenes, you can smell it exactly where you are. And when I'm watching it, I think that's what brings everything together for me that makes that whole production just so heartwarming and heartfelt. That's so beautiful. To know that you're growing gardens in the middle of food deserts, that is my kind of resistance. So I know that as part of this project, you identified a nonprofit that you loved and partnered with Hulu to support it. Could you tell us a bit about the organization that you chose and why it's so special? Hey, so I picked Planet Forward Farms. And Planet Forward Farms is important to me, one, because I understand I understand their situation. That nonprofit was created to give Congolese or refugees farms for them to be able to grow food to feed their families and make money. So there's people from overseas that come here to Houston. This organization gives them a half an acre of land. They grow their food and they take their food and they sell it throughout their network. Now these, I've actually seen these these people, their kids actually go to college from this, from far, urban farming, and their kids having kids and start businesses. I understand how farming is. Like, it's very risky, and it's hard, you know, especially as an urban farmer or African-American farmer to get money or to get resources. I feel like that organization was giving them a hand up, not a hand out. That's what, why I actually joined their advisory committee to be able to help them out in the system. And then on the flip side of it, we actually do business together, like my farm as well. Like we do business with Planet Forward and we donate to them. So as I'm listening to you talk about how Planet Forward works with refugees, in the back of my mind, I'm starting to think about all of these intersections in politics. Under the Biden administration, I know that they're doing a lot of work to acknowledge the violence and discrimination that have driven generations of Black folks away from farming. I read that in 1920, 14% of farms were run by African Americans. And now, it's less than 2%. There are all these discussions and proposed pieces of legislation related to farming and agriculture 
So my next question for you is, what role does politics play in your work? The biggest thing that happened before President Trump got out of office was you had the coronavirus and they shut down all the borders, right? So that means no food comes in, no food come out. It's like mass frenzy, right? Amazon buy Whole Foods. I mean, you know, you're buying food online and just the Amazon start growing their own food to sell at the stores using aquaponics and hydroponics. And then third of all, the borders. 90% of the food that's harvested or planted in America from farms that we eat comes from California, which comes from Hispanics that cross the border to, to migrate to grow our food. So he shut that off. So that means less people to be able to grow these products. And the crisis of crops went up. And then fourth, in December of 2019 or January 2020, we had the largest trade deal in America with China where they had to buy so many billions of dollars of American farmers' food products. So I'm going to say one more thing. The USDA, they opened up the Office of Urban Agriculture and Office of Sustainability. And so politics, business is showing us that aquaponics, hydroponics, sustainability, the environment, conserving resources, technology. This is going to be the new move or the new shift for like my generation and the generation that comes after me. I'm really thankful for, I feel like I learned so much and I, I have so many friends who are like, I just want to leave the city and go work on a farm. And I'm like, but farming is so hard. That's my thing. <laughs> That's in my brain. Like my stereotype about farming is that it's very hard, but there's so much, and I'm sure that that is true, but there's so much that you've illustrated in today's conversation. So I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Um, man, it's, it's not that bad. Like I said, you have aquaponics, hydroponics. You know, you can farm now without being on a tractor. And there's so much to agriculture. Like, like I said, I do agriculture consulting as well, which is not even is which is like making business plans and doing marketing plans. And you have agriculture communications and you can you people make movies about different ag industries or entities. You have people who work on Wall Street that that trade agriculture stocks, you know, like cotton, soybean in Chicago. Like that's the mecca of trading commodities. That's what I really want to do. I mean, it's so much in in this industry. It's so many products that can be made and created. Like everything comes from agriculture. And I just want like, and, and this is nothing to any other race or religion. I just really want or love like more African-Americans or minorities to take advantage of these opportunities because ag is the 1% in America and in the world, but we, we're the people who feed everybody. I mean, everything is based off food and water. and sh You can't talk about it if you don't talk about agriculture. Yes. And I would love just for the record to state before we close this that I would love to actually be on a tractor. Um, hey! that, is not, that is not the thing that is keeping me away from it. I'm really here for like heavy machinery, you know, just like boom, pulling up in like, you know, a little fit. <laughs> With a hat, with some straw. Like, I love, you know, the whole Carhartt movement. Like, that's, yes. that's where I'm See, at. Look, prime example. My Overalls. friend Ivy Wall, she has her own agriculture outdoor uh, clothing line. Oh, I need that. So that's why I said it's fashion involved in it. So we really need to look at this. This is really cool, really fun. Yes, um, I'm here for the aquaponics and the drip. You yeah, know what I'm for the... Uh, it's both. <laughs> Drip, drip, drip. <laughs> 
<laughs> drip, drip, drip. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeremy. Yay. Yeah. Whoa, plan to see, watch it grow. This is the life of a farmer. We on an attractor. We playing the roles. We feeding the cows. We eating the grass. Jeremy's got the lettuce, the beets, and the drip. I loved getting a chance to hear more about his life in Houston and what urban farming means to him. If you enjoy this conversation, don't you worry. We've got so much more to come. We'll be talking to all of the makers from season two of Your Attention, Please, on this podcast. So if you haven't already, watch the show, now streaming on Hulu. The episodes are also available for free on Hulu's YouTube channel. And of course, if you have a question for any of our guests that you want to ask, leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858. So be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating, write a review, forward it to your cousin. It'll help more people find this show. Episodes are available literally anywhere and everywhere that podcasts are found and also right within the Hulu platform. Don't be afraid to find what you love, share it with the world, and scream from the mountaintop, your attention, please. Your Attention, Please, the podcast is a production of Hulu and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, J.N. Barry and Barry Finkel. Our lead producer is Sophia Steinert-Evoy, and our associate producer is Brianna Garrett. The Your Attention, Please theme song is composed by Teddy Walton. Our show is engineered by Davey Sumner. And of course, I'm your host, Kimberly Drew. You can find me on social media at at Museum Mammy. That's all for this week, but we'll be back next Tuesday with more Black Excellence. 